Hi, and welcome to the Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I am here today with my wife Natasha Mason. Hello. Yeah, that sounded painful. Are you okay? Hello. Okay, so we are back with uh, episode number seven. Seven? Yes. Episode number seven. So in the last episode, we kind of covered um, a little bit about uh, Egypt and Genesis, and I might have went on a little bit at length about some different things. I tend to talk a lot, and that's I, all right. Yes, it is what it is. So today she's gonna we're we're gonna have some conversation. Hopefully, this will be a little more two way than normal. Oh um, gosh! Generally, when I get to speaking or talking, especially if I'm passionate about something, I can ramble on um, for a long, long time. I've been told that I need to slow down. And I've been told that I'm long-winded. So those are kind of, you know, those are things. I, I have never said that. I'm not saying it was you, but those well, are things you were looking at I me. need to. Oh, you're sitting over here near me. So these are things that I need to work on. I know that. So um, so really, uh, going into this episode, um, really, where do you want to go with this? So what are your questions? Is this going to be like question and answers? Sure, go ahead. Um, you were saying, what well, should we talk about the next podcast? Right. And so I said, why is it? that the Old Testament really is just seen as Bible stories and not so much something we should follow. Right. Uh, okay. So that's a loaded question. Well, not that we shouldn't follow, but right. that we, not much emphasis. It's a, it's a, that is a huge question that I don't think I can answer all alone on a podcast, especially this one. But the basic, the basic simple answer uh, to that would be, um, you have to go back to uh, when things were, when the Catholic Church came around, right? It was the Roman Church of the Holy Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Church. Uh, so uh, over the time, you know, we, we talked about uh, Martin Luther the, the, uh, nailed his thesis to the door. Martin Luther was a great guy. Martin Luther saw uh, the grace of God versus um, the works, the penitent things a man can do. And um, Martin Luther was also very anti-Semitic. Um, as a lot were early church fathers. And so when they looked at the scripture and the Jews particularly, they said, um, you know, we don't want anything to do with them. Those are the ones who crucified Christ. They are the, they're the Jesus killers. The Jews are the Jesus killers. Um, Paul, and this is really huge, Paul uh, going out to the Gentiles. And, you know, the scripture says uh, the, the time of the Gentiles has to be fulfilled. So uh, when they look at it, they say, hey, the gospel and the, the gifts and the uh, promises of God are taken from the Jews and given to the Gentiles. So um, they get into that. And so they say, hey, you know, we're now we're the ones who God is blessing. God is no longer going to bless them. And it really becomes a them and us kind of issue. Um, and I think anybody who goes to church today could see that churches still love Israel. They, there's no 95% of the United States churches will always say, well, we stand with Israel. You know, as the United States, we're one of their allies. We stand with Israel um, because we see ourselves as their protector because they're and, and I really think it I don't think we see them as an ally as much as we see them as they need our protection because they're weak and in the like eyes they're of our little brother they're weak in the eyes of God that's why I honestly think that's how we see them as as most Christians and the church and our government looks at Israel it is well they got a right to exist they came back in 1948 and we have to protect them because they're but if you look at them they are not weak oh no absolutely not they will 
mess you up in a hot second. Well, I think if you look at the, and this is the promises of God, right? The promises of God never change. They never falter. They never waver. If God makes a promise to us, he will hold up his end. That's a guarantee. God has never failed in his promises. Uh, whether we fail or not, or whether we make a, you know, these a lot of the promises that God made um, were from his side. They were one-sided promises. They weren't promises that we needed to hold up something. It was, I am God, and I will do this. I am God, and I will do that, and I will provide, you know. So when you look at Israel in the Old Testament, uh, the promises that God made to them, he holds up that side of the deal. Whether they do or not, God holds up his promises to them. So we look, a lot of people are going to whine and complain if I say something, but I mean, uh, you look in the, the entertainment industry, the banking industry, you look in uh, governments, you look in, you look in almost every sector of life in the world, and there are Jewish people there. They are there, and they are dominating, and they are very much so. Um, and that's because I think they have they have this blessing that goes upon them as a people. Um, they're descendants of the people who are who are blessed in in certain different ways. Now I don't think that means that because we're blessed we should go off and, and commit sin or promote sin or do something that's wrong. Absolutely not. That's what that's what Paul talks about in grace, brothers. Uh, should we continue in sin so that grace should abound? God forbid. That's not something we should ever do. Should we continue to break Torah, which we know? Breaking the law is sin, right? That's that's the definition of sin, is to break the law of God. Should we continue in sin? So Paul would t- be saying, should we continue to break Torah so that grace may abound? God forbid. Why would we do that? So I think, uh, so we come to the modern age, right? The church is really is setting up the, uh, and I'm not talking about American church right now, but I'm talking about in the early church. Um, they're really def- trying to find out who they are, what they want to do, what they don't want in church, what they do want in church. So they start dividing. Uh, King James comes along, goes into, and there were other Bible translators at the time, but they go into translating the scripture. And somewhere along the line, somebody decided what was old and new. Um, if you go and you look at all the early uh, Hebraic texts, all the early writers, if you look at Torah, you look at the major prophets and the minor prophets, you will never find um, you're never going to find a Torah scroll. Torah scrolls are these things they have in Jewish synagogues that has the first five books of the Bible in them, because this is the first. These are the books written by God. The first five books of your Bible are written by. This is God's story. So, uh, to the Jew, they revere the Torah more than any other portion of Scripture because it's the most important thing. Um, but if you go and you look at that right, and you're you're thinking about the Scripture and um, how that applies to man, I've just lost my brain. What? I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> So anyway, what was I saying? We were talking about why we should follow. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm sorry. So we go back. Uh, so I just went all sideways on that. That's okay. So we go back and we look at the Torah um, and we look at uh, the Jewishness of it, right? So we see the the rabbi. We see the tallit. Uh, we see them wearing the uh, the flackeries and the, and the telephon, and uh, we see the um, just a lot of Jewish symbolisms. You see menorahs and all these type of things. So these are all things that are associated with the Jew. These are all things that are associated with synagogues. These are all things that are associated with Judaism. So uh, there was when they went out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, I really feel like that the Gentiles, once they got a hold of the gospel, right, that the Messiah had come, Yeshua had come, uh, once they got a hold of that, they wanted to, it's much like everything else, 
we paint pictures of Jesus and we paint him as a white guy and as a black guy and as an Asian guy and as because we want something that looks like us, right? Mm-hmm. So once they got a hold of, of, of Christianity and once they got a hold of the gospel and it got a hold of this Jesus guy that they started calling him, um, they really painted him to fit their mold because we want this Jesus to look like us. So if Jesus is like us, then he's going to do some of the things we do. We're gonna. He's gonna observe some of the things we observe. We're gonna, you know, Christmas. Um, I don't want to get a hot button issue on that one, but oh, I'm just gosh. saying. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He's gonna. He's. Uh, you know, we're gonna take these uh, pagan practices and we're gonna take religion. And we're gonna mush them together, right? And we're gonna make up a new holiday. And because be more Je- acceptable to the masses, right? Because Jesus is in it. So, you know, I, yeah, you can't find Christmas in the Bible. You don't find a green the green tree in the Bible. You don't find any of this stuff in the Bible. But but it's okay because Jesus is in it now, right? I mean, that's how we look at it. That's the honest truth. So I think what happened was is they looked at the Scripture, and somebody came in there, and they stuck new on one half, and they stuck the word old on the other half, and that's how we saw it. I mean, if you want to be honest, blunt, and truth with people, there's no such thing as the Old Testament, and there's no such thing as the New Testament. They don't exist. It is the Word of God. It is not divided into two halves. It is not old, and it is not new. It is the Word of God. So Jesus, right? We know Jesus, uh, Son of God. Everybody know him? Raise your hand if you know him. I see all those hands. That's what preachers would do in church. I see the, <laughs> bow, your, bow your head, close your eyes. I see those hands. Don't, don't nobody be looking around now. So we know that Jesus is the Son of God, right? So we're sitting here, and we're telling ourselves, here's the Old Testament, the old half of the Bible that we don't need anymore. Nah, we know it's stories. It's nice. It's good stuff. But I, So and then Jesus come and what's one of the first claims he the, the, the scripture says about him it says that he was the word of God made manifest in the flesh that he is the word he is the Torah of God made manifest in the flesh if you don't need the Old Testament then you don't need Jesus because Jesus is what we call the Old Testament he is the Torah of God if the Torah of God is not important if it does not matter he doesn't matter because that's who he is he would you know the scripture says that uh, he's, God can never break his word. You know, God, all these people out there say the law is dead and done away with, right? Um, Why do they say that, though? Because um, it makes you responsible to something, maybe. There's there's some confusions in the Scripture that people look at. They look at what Paul said about the law, and then they look at um, they look at what Jesus said about the law. And the question I always have is, who is greater, the master or the student, the teacher or the student? Who is greater? I'm asking you. Who is greater, the teacher or the student? Um, the teacher. All right. I don't, we I, send our children to school, do right. we not? Who no. is smarter, the, the teacher, teacher or the children? The teacher. Okay. So now this is the point I'm trying to make. Is Paul smarter than Jesus was? No. Was Paul ever at any point in his life smarter than Jesus was? No. Does he know more about the Word of God or Torah? Would he have ever known more about Torah than Yeshua did? No, because he was a Torah. Right. So Paul would never have been able to know more about the scriptures of God than the scripture of God himself. Correct. So this is the point. And so, okay, so we come over to the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, and we see a couple things. There's one verse that says, not one jot or tittle shall pass away from the law of God until all these things are fulfilled. Not one. And those are the uh, the vowel markings in Hebrew. If you look in Hebrew, um, there are vowel points that are added in because most Hebrew is consonant, doesn't have vowels in it. So they come back in and they put in vowel points. Um, and not one. And a lot of people say it's like the dot on an I or the cross of a T. That's the way we look at it in, in our life today. None of that. will. Not one word of the law will, will 
be done away with until all the things, until all of, uh, until everything, the work of God is complete and the work of God is not complete yet. So we know that it hasn't done away with Jesus said, he also said of himself, he said, I'm not come to destroy the law, but to be the fulfillment or to fulfill the law. So we've got one half, we've got Jesus over here saying, um, I'm, I'm the word of God in the flesh. I'm the Torah of God. I'm the law of God, if that's how you want to put it. But he was the law of God in the flesh. And he says, I'm not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Then you go over here to Paul and you got some verses in Romans. There's one that says um, that he's talking about Christ being the end of the law. And so a lot of people look at it and say, well, Paul says the law is done away with. But the actual Greek means to be the goal of the law in the verse. And so he's saying that Christ has come to be the goal of the law. What is the goal? You run a whole race, you get to the end of the race, and there's the goal, passing the finish line. Um, so the law is the same way. It's that God has these set laws. We've talked about it before. That he's had these set laws. Here's what we should be doing. And if you don't do it, you're going to die. There's a punishment. There's, there's If you find two people doing something they shouldn't be doing, there were different punishments. But Christ came to be the fulfillment of the law. He became to be the goal of the law. Um, he became to be the price that is paid for the law. Um, I don't, you know, when it comes down to it, I think we get to, uh, it was, it's all about control. And if you're a Catholic believer, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but the Catholic church, if you go back into the dark ages and before that it was about control. Uh, at one point the Catholic church was selling, um, Papal yes. indulgences. Papal indulgences. And we brought that up. But papal indulgences, look it up. It's history. They were selling pieces of paper or whatever they wrote it on, but they would give you forgiveness of sins ahead of time. You could pay them a price, give them gold for these papal indulgences. You could get this thing, go out and do whatever you wanted to, and turn that into your local priest, and you're absolved of that sin. God forgave you because you bought it ahead of time. Um, this is the, the same old story that we see with all religions and all denominations and all people on earth. Somebody wants to control somebody else. And so they have to be able to set the rules. So if you look at the word of God and God has already defined the rules, we got to get rid of those rules because we can't, we can't run these people. uh, We can't tell them what to do if, uh, if we're not the ones making the rules. And so I, I just think there was a huge division between, um, Really, that putting those new those words in there, new and old, that is such a divisive thing that has happened um, in the scriptures. And I don't think it was intentional. I don't think people were thinking, "Hey, we're going to put new and old in there and really kind of break it up." But it really did. It really drove us to thinking of this. This is old, and there's no such thing as old with God. There's no such thing as new with God. God is timeless. He is. You know, it makes no sense to me when you sit and think about it. Why do we call one half old and the other half new? You know, I don't, it's, it's ridiculous. You don't go and buy a car and the front half is new and the, the back half is old. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. There's nothing in life. Or not. My kids are born, but the top half is not new and the bottom half old. It doesn't work like that. It's one whole thing. So, um, so I think there was a division early on from the, the, the council of Nicaea and some of these other early, uh, Roman led Catholic church led, um, appointments where they got together and they decided what was going to be in the Bible and they decided what was not going to be in the Bible. Um, and I think that's where we get this division of, you know, we're going to, because I think if you look at the imagery, like the Jewish imagery, um, it, it, it doesn't behoove us as believers to take that stuff out because it, it, it means so much more. If you need to understand what the t- what we are as the temple of God, it would be very it would behoove us to understand what the actual temple of God was and what it looked like and what was in it and what did it represent. All these temple uh, sacrifices and ceremonies, and then this doesn't change our salvation at all. 
It just, it's, it's like I talked to you before. If I want to know you and I want to claim that I love you, I need to know the things about you. I need to know the things you like and the things you don't like. If I know you don't like uh, salmon, which I know you do, but if, if I knew you didn't like salmon and I served you salmon every day, but I did it with a smile on my face, you would eventually get to the point where you would say, why are you doing that? You love me and you say you care about me and I've told you I don't like salmon, but you prepare it for dinner every day. Why do you do that? And I would look at you and be like, oh, I, I love you so much. That's why I make you salmon. Are you, but you're, try, you're making me mad. Right. And, <laughs> but that would not be my intention. My intention would not be to make you mad. It would be to try to make you happy, but it's making you happy from my perspective. How you feel I like want. you're doing something. You're accomplishing what you're supposed right. to do. Uh, it's Cain and Abel, right? I'm, I did this. I grew this. I'm bringing this to you. I want you to be happy with what I gave you. I have these fruits and vegetables instead. Right. So I'm trying to pre- I'm trying to present this to you because I want to make you happy, but I want to make you happy from the way I see it. And so uh, that's how it is. That's how we are. I mean, that's how we've done with the Word of God. We've divided in half. We've thrown this old side over here, and we said we don't need that. Uh, the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Yep, and we know he's going to do that. But the Holy Spirit also knows hey you've got scripture you've got the word of god he's already told you what to do why why should the holy spirit have to lead you into something you've already been told to do i don't understand that um and so for us if we want to please god we need to know does god like salmon or not i mean that just sounds kind of crazy but that's the point does what are we bringing him the things that are going to what does god want right will he find favor in the things that i'm doing do they line up with his word um you know nothing that we do there's not a single work there's not a single law in the old testament that we could keep that is ever going to count for our righteousness and i want people to understand that i know i talk about the law a lot we ask this question a lot um, but there is not a single thing you can do to make yourself righteous will not happen uh, if you are trying to keep the law of God and you're trying to keep the Torah of God with the intention of proving your righteousness to God, you better stop today because it doesn't do you any good. Absolutely none. Um, the whole point of the Torah and the Old Testament laws of God are for our benefit. It is the instructions, just like you would get instructions with anything else, your cell phone, your TV, here's how you use it, here's what's going to do you best. If you ask most women and you say, hey, do the men read instructions? They're going to say, no, men don't read instructions. They throw them aside. So they try to put together this couch, and then halfway through, they realize they got too many parts. They put it together wrong. They don't know what's going on. So then somebody always inevitably says, why didn't you read the instructions? Same thing with God. If we want to love God, if we want to serve God, if we want to know God, if we want to know his son, we need to know his instructions. We need to know what his word says. Not the old, not the new, his word, period. We need to know what does God expect from me? What does it look like to to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a follower of Yeshua? What does it mean to walk in his footsteps, to take up the cross daily and follow after him? What does it mean to mortify the flesh? There's so many questions that we as believers can ask, but we have to be willing to seek and we have to be willing to study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. It's what scripture says. Um, it's there, but we have to look into it because if we're not taking that time and we're not taking the opportunity to learn that, there's not going to be that passion in our lives. It's not going to be the fire that we want, you know? Um, I told my wife today, there are certain things that I think about and there are certain things that um, that it, it emotionally move me almost disturbingly sometimes. Just, um, just say what you told me. About? About that moment. Oh, which moment? <laughs> no, I mean, there's some things I... 
there are some things that go on. Uh, I was thinking about um, uh, the resurrection. Um, this is just a, a quick thing, side note from everything else we're talking about, but uh, just thinking about the resurrection because a lot of things in my life I think about, and I was thinking about that moment, you know, um, of being uh, the body being raised up and seeing Christ and um, what is that going to feel like? And what is that going to, what is it going to be like for me? And I'm not even just trying to use this childish, uh, I'm not thinking of it in the school child way of thinking of something. But when you think about it, if you really think, uh, we heard a song, we listened to a song today about the grave and how the grave is, is not our, it's not the end of us. The grave cannot hold us, right? The grave, the power of God and this life that he has given us, it is so much, it's, it's so awesome to think that the grave cannot overcome it. We're not going to be held in the grave. It, that is such a blessed thing to know that everyone who's died in Christ is not subject to being stuck in the ground the rest of their lives. They cannot be held in the grave. So that day comes, right? So the day comes, the the, arch, the archangel, the, the shout, right? And, and you come forth out of that grave. And I mean, it, it gives me, I don't know. It just it, it moves me to the point of almost falling apart sometimes to think about it because when I look at it, I think as a, as a person, and I don't think a lot of people see themselves this way, but I do. Um, when I look back at my sin and I know what I've done, I see how ungodly that I have been, and I see how um, detestable my sin is to me, and I know the things that 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 break. You know, would it just it shames me. It almost shames me to the point of tears to think that I have, uh, I think I've let God down, and I feel like I've let God down. I know I haven't. He knows everything I do. He knows everything I can do, and he's not disappointed. But at the same time, I'm disappointed in me. And so when I think about that time when Christ calls me forth out of the grave, that I am so unworthy to be, I'm going to be so unworthy to be witness to that or to be a part of that or to see that. Um, I don't think people, they don't think, we don't think about that. We don't take that in consideration enough. We don't think of ourselves as, you know, the Bible talks about, oh, wretched man that I am. That's me. You know, I'm this wretched, undone person who had to be made complete because I couldn't do it on my own. I had to have a savior because uh, I was falling apart. And, you know, even in my life, I look and I see the ways that I consider that I've let him down and failed him. And I look and I think, man, it's so it is so horrible that I had to have the son of God come and save me because I'm so weak that I couldn't do it on my own. But that's the realization, right? Is that we are we're undone and we're sinners in the presence of an almighty God and people do not it just I don't understand that people do not give that consideration you know we think it's we live in a world where humility we I talked about this so humility is uh, a characteristic of a weak person people don't want to be humble and people see it as a sign of weakness and people see it as uh, you know I need to glorify myself. Social media is. Well, if you don't glorify yourself, nobody else is going to do it for oh, you. Social media is rampant. Social media is rampant with that. Uh, one of my friends was talking about Twitter, and he said, "You know, Twitter is really for the glorification of the uh, Hollywood elites. If you honestly want to be, mm-hmm. it's all about who you are and how many people follow you and how many people listen to what you have to say. And it is about me, and it's it's very prideful. Facebook, this selfie craze. I know it's the the silliest thing in the world, but either either everything we do in our life glorifies God." or it doesn't glorify him at all. One of the two. There's 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 no middle ground here. So this idea that these people, I mean, they're people who make a living off of taking pictures of themselves. And they want other people to like and share my picture and look at me, look at me, look at me. 
that is the least and the uh, it, we are to be a humble we're be humble before God you know there are people who uh, we, we sit and we sing songs about the day that we're going to be in front of God and we're going to fall on our face you know the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Yeshua is Mashiach every knee will bow and every tongue will confess no one will be standing up no one will be taking glory no one will be taking anything away from him other than to say this is the living son of God even the wicked the lost the atheist everybody on this planet you're going to bow and you're going to say it it's going to happen mark it down I'll be there with you and I'll be on the ground uh, the, the question is who is doing it voluntarily and who is doing it um, because they don't have any other choices the, those of us who know um, you know we're gonna it's just one of those things where I don't um, it, it moves me sometimes I think I, I it disturbs me sometimes how emotional I feel about um, these things when I think about God and my relationship with Christ and my relationship with with the Son of God and uh, I don't know it's just it's it's a very passionate thing and i think when i talk about the abnormal christian i think i, I look and i see and i want people to be at the same level of of understanding that i, I and i don't want to say i'm at any level because I, I don't but i just wonder why more believers are not concerned with the things of that are heavenly the bible tells us to lay up our treasures in heaven that this world is not ours it doesn't even matter this world is going to pass away this world is going to decay and rot and burn, and it's not. it has nothing to do with us. This is Egypt. We don't live in Egypt. This is not our home. This is just us passing through. So why are we so wrapped up in having everything that it has to offer? Why do we so want the acknowledgement of these people? Why do we so seek and crave after their attention? Because their attention is poisonous, it's dangerous. It doesn't. It's not doing us any good. Our goal should be to win them, to bring them out. You know, if we think of Jesus coming to the world to rescue us from our sins, and He dwells in us, then we need to act the way He would act. We need to let Him act through us, so that He uses us as to take His Messiahship to them, to bring them out, to say, "I come in the name of the Lord." And I come to bring you life, and life is Yeshua. Life is the living water of; it's just springing forth from the throne of God. You know, so um, I think it really. It, it, I think if if believers would take more time, and we would reflect more upon our relationship with God, and what are these things? What does sin mean in my life? How is it? You know, what does it mean to me? How is it affecting me? Um, if we really saw it for what it was, I think if people really saw sin for what it was, it would change everyone. Uh, there's, you know, I think if people saw the, I don't want if people saw the spiritual realm, because I think me and you have talked about this before, if you could see the demons that are in the spiritual realm and the angels that are in the spiritual realm and the battles and the wars that are going on there for mankind, the very souls of small children, the souls of grown adults, if you could see these things, these these beings fighting over us, fighting over control. It would terrify people to death, but we put these things so far out of our mind because we want to walk around and think that, you know, well, everybody goes to heaven when they die. We don't want to think bad Absolutely. things happen. No, and we're living in a world that doesn't want you to think about the bad consequences. This is why everything that, if you look at sexual immorality, I'll use that as an example, uh, sexual immorality in the scripture is pretty clear and cut. There are things you're not supposed to do. They're abominable, uh, abominable, not the snowman. They're an abomination. 
in the sight of God, right? There are certain right. things we shouldn't do, but our society and our world has made it to where they are acceptable. Because if you can make sin acceptable, then there's nothing wrong, and you're not wrong, and you're not wrong in front of God, and you'll never be wrong. And if you're never wrong, then you'll never go to hell. And this is the ultimate. If you really, I was thinking about this two or three days ago. It's very sinister and very absolutely pervasive. If you if you really look at everything that happens in the world, I mean everything. Take everything in a, as a whole that happens in the world. All the movies, all the politics, all the the fights, all the wars. If you take everything as a whole and you break it down into one of two categories, does this glorify God or does this separate man from God? If you broke life down in those two categories and you saw it for what it really was, you would see all those things that you watch in movies. You would see all those things you watched in TV. You would hear all those songs that you hear that are not of God. God, you would realize all that stuff is doing one thing to it is there to distract you and draw you away from God. That's what it's about. If there are two powers fighting here, if there is a devil and a God and they are fighting and angels and demons are fighting for the souls of mankind. Well, you know, I think it's been turned into a cartoon thing where you got a little devil on your shoulder. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, God show. has turned into a, you know, uh, the uh, there was a TV show. It's probably still on Family Guy. I don't watch it. No, I've seen some of it. It is one. Of, uh, yeah, I just I couldn't say enough bad things about this show. Uh, people love it. If you're listening to this and you love this show, sorry, I don't. Um, but it is one of the most blasphemous things I've ever seen. They have they put God as a cartoon character in bed with other women, um, asking where his condoms are. I mean, and, and I'm not trying to be gross, but there are things they've gone to the nth degree to make. Uh, they have one where jesus was performing miracles that looked like a sideshow clown basically he's just interlocking his fingers and doing you know it was just really um it's very blasphemous and undermining of the the respect that we have for the gospel of jesus christ it's same thing i said somebody posted a video on facebook the other day of billy graham back in the 60s he was on a tv show and everybody knew who he was. well this is reverend Graham. this is not uh this was not a christian show this is like on abc or something who's what who's lying or i don't know what it was it was it was but it was black and white when he was really young. And uh, so they were trying to guess who it was. He was speaking, and somebody guessed it was Billy Graham. So all these movie star people take their masks off. And oh, it's Reverend Graham. This is Billy Graham, the man of God. You know, and I'm sitting here thinking, they knew. Yeah, back then, they could spot a man of God, and they had reverence for that. In this world today, they don't care. They don't have any reverence for God. They don't have reverence for the men of God or the people of God. Um, but the great thing is, and, and the great thing to all of that is, is no matter how bad and how evil and wicked this world may get, or how wicked and evil it may seem, the grace of God is still abounding so much more than that sin has ever abounded. The power of God um, is still available to tap into. The, the, the power of God, I don't think we see that enough. I don't think we see the power of God enough in this world. Um, it was a story of a Chinese man who had gotten saved. Uh, Watchman E was talking about it in one of the sermons I read, and he said uh, the man wanted to know. Um, he didn't have anybody else around. The Scripture says that we're, we're to be saved and baptized, right? So these are the things. And he, he wanted to know that he was going to go to heaven, but he didn't have anybody to baptize him. And he thought, well, do I really have salvation? Have I really been born again if I haven't been baptized? Because I'm supposed to be baptized. There's a lot of the Baptist uh, Catholic Church is very heavy on baptismal salvation. This is going to save you if you're baptized, right? So this guy says, hey, I'm putting my faith, Chinese guy, I'm putting my faith in Christ, and, and but I can't get baptized. So how do I, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Um, so he had heard that he had some neighbors on down the road who got sick, and he thought, well, I'll go pray for them. And I'll put my hands on them, and I'll pray in the name of God, you know, in the name of Jesus. And um, if, you know, I'll see what happens. If, if I'm saved and the power of God lies within me, even though I haven't been baptized, 
um, then something should happen. If nothing happens, uh, then I don't have anything. So uh, the story watchman, he said the man went down and prayed for the folks. They were terribly, terribly ill. Um, he put his hands on them. And he prayed for them. And within like two or three days, they were they were good. They were they were fine, back on their feet, bouncing around, you know. Um, and so uh, the man went on to preach the gospel to all these people that were in his village. He hadn't been baptized. Um, so he went on to preach the gospel to all of these people in his village. And Watchman Nee said when he showed up, he asked the man about it. And the man said, would you please baptize me because I know you're a believer and I'm supposed to follow this an ordinance of the scripture. And uh, Watchman Nee said, well, you know, why did you even doubt that? And he said, because I, I wasn't quite sure, you know, just from what I read, I, I thought I had to be baptized to be saved. And he said, but um, Watchman Nee said, this is one of the most, you know, this is one of the most manly men of God I've ever seen. You know, he just took by faith the power uh, of the spoke of the written word. He took the by faith the word of God to know that if God is in me and God is living in me, then then He will perform through me. God's going to perform through us. And so I think as the church and as believers, we um, we limit the power of God because of fear. We don't want to do stuff. Um, we're afraid we're going to look stupid. We're afraid we're going to uh, people are going to say, "Oh, your God's not real. That didn't really happen, right?" Um, and so I think you know. It's just trusting that God is who he says he is. Same thing with the Old Testament, New Testament thing. Um, if we look back at the Old Testament and we see that God says this is good to do and that is bad to do, don't do this or don't do we should still follow that because he's still God. He still has the same authority. He still has the same position. He still has the same um, power that he's always had. And I think we... Uh, we sell ourselves short when we try to uh, reduce him down to one half of a book. You know, we try to reduce him down. So long way around. We took the long road around to that question and that answer. Um, we're definitely, you know, on this podcast, it could be a lot more detailed, I think. Um, we could come with a lot more uh, set scriptures. Uh, one of the things I don't do uh, right now is give scriptures uh, because I want you to go look. Uh, the main thing here is, is if you hear somebody say something, you should always be looking. So if I say something like uh, the scripture says, um, or Jesus has said, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. So uh, somebody should be looking that up. You know, you shouldn't just take that Brad Mason said it as, as gold, um, because I could say something stupid. You know, Nike chapter 12, it says, thy shoestring shall not be tightened so thusly or whatever. So the, the goal, the point there is, is to, is to really have a little bit of interaction with this podcast is that you get in the scripture you look for yourself and you see whether it's in there or not. Um, if anybody wants to leave a comment on our Facebook page saying, hey, you're wrong, it's not in there, I'll be happy to respond to that. But uh, right now, I just want people to look in the word and seek and to find um, because that's the only way we're going to get these, these uh, uh, more powerful relationships with God and others is to know the word. Outside of that, this has been our episode. We thank you for joining us for episode number seven, which is uh, the best episode ever, right? Number seven episodes, mm -hmm. great. Um, we hope you will join us again for episode number eight. And until then, um, be blessed. Bye.